Hello listeners and welcome to the Poor Richards Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Association for Diplomatic Studies and Training, ADST. For more, check out our website at ADST.org. ADST, American Diplomacy, Warts and All. While America was evolving into a more gender-equal society at the end of the last century, conflicts could arise as female Foreign Service officers became more common in the Foreign Service. They began to go abroad to lead diplomatic missions at a time when many people were not used to seeing women in positions of authority. This sometimes led to uncomfortable situations. It was the perseverance, forbearance, and common sense of these women in pushing past the stereotypes to get the job done that paved the way for a new generation of female FSOs. Anne Carey was among them. A native Washingtonian, she joined the Foreign Service as an economics officer in June 1974. She served at the State Department in the Operations Center, the Office of the Undersecretary for Economic Affairs, and other domestic assignments. Overseas, Anne was posted to Brussels, Port-au-Prince, Paris, Addis Ababa, New Delhi, and Casablanca. Anne Carey overcame gender bias to have a fulfilling career as a Foreign Service officer, becoming the first female Consul General of Casablanca from 1992 to 1995, and balancing a series of demanding jobs in the State Department with a life as a wife and a mother. Here she's interviewed by Charles Stewart Kennedy. The date is November 30th, 1995. When they did my security interview, my application had urgent stamped on it. <laughs> and I, it was just about the time where they really had to bring in more women. And mm-hmm. I'm convinced female economists, they didn't have well, very many. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, one, they wanted more women, but also uh, by being an economist, uh, and, you know, the, the very fact that you'd been overseas and had uh, these connections really made you a, uh, a prime candidate. But I think that was, it was a good thing. And it's something that, uh, as I saw when my husband came in, they just are waiting too long and other people have, you have to make other decisions. So I thought the, mm-hmm. the speed with which they can move when they mm-hmm. want to is, was, a, was a good mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. And for somebody just, just getting started, it worked very well. It was, to me, rapid enough. They, as I said, pushed through everything very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it was clear that their numbers had to be improved. Well, I know. I was saying on the, on the, on the board early at, at about that time, and we were uh, looking for more women and uh, minorities. That, uh, I mean, there was, you know, there was a lot of mm-hmm. push on that. Can you describe a little, characterize a bit your A100 course? Oh, yeah. There were, uh, I don't know, 40 or so FSOs. Uh, I was the youngest. And in fact, at that point, it was the 50th anniversary of the Rogers Act, and I was the youngest FSO. Mm. So I was in the state magazine as the youngest oh, FSO. Yeah. <laughs> Rogers Act being the amalgamate, which created the Foreign Service in uh, 1924. Right. And, uh, and there were a number of women, about eight women. A couple had... One had been in before and had been forced to resign when she got married, mm-hmm. and she had been reinstated. She was mm-hmm. a consular officer. One was a, a former Playboy bunny. Uh, I mean, she'd done, she'd yeah, done she, that yeah, during yeah. school to, yeah. you know, to make money. A couple people who were, uh, you know, some ex-Peace Corps volunteers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a, a fairly diverse group, and it was older because it was, there were more and more people over 30 because mm-hmm. they had mm-hmm. dropped the age limit on that as well, and mm-hmm. we had a couple people in their, you know, 40s. Most people were not married, 
and it was a six-week period where they really, one of the most impressive, one of the things I remember most was a lecture about social entertaining and whatnot and the judicious use of parsley. You know, always serve parsley so people can hide things under it. <laughs> Some societies, they feel they have to finish everything and <laughs> if you've got parsley, you, you can do that. Did you feel any, um, uh, I mean, at the beginning, were you picking up any sexist vibes? Uh, you know what I'm talking about. Yes, I mean, yes. Uh, because this is, the culture is beginning to change. Right. Uh, as far as women in the Foreign Service and all this, but it was still pretty early on. Yeah, um, there was definitely an attitude. And because I was so young, mm -hmm. it, I don't think it bothered me yeah. as much as it would have had, had I been older. Mm -hmm. But I, w I was so much younger than everybody else around mm -hmm. that when people condescended, Mm -hmm. That I mean, of course, I was the new person on the block. That was fine. I really was coming You'd in. You'd go for the coffee or something Right, like I'll that. get you coffee. I'll, I can remember having, it was a journalist, Christian Science Monitor journalist. And uh, he walked into the office and looked at me and said, you know, I like my coffee with two sugars. So I got up and got the coffee and went and sat down. And then he, he realized when I sat down at the table that I wasn't a secretary. Mm -hmm. uh, it was also a time when secretaries had a lot of problems with, female officers because yeah. it's a it's a difficult situation a lot of these were particularly the old time foreign service secretaries many of them had college degrees oh, and yeah. just simply weren't really given the opportunity to become oh, an officer it was, it was, and here comes this young yeah. kid who's an officer mm. telling me who's been doing this job for mm. 20 years yeah. uh, there was there was a lot of tension <laughs> I say most of the men I found to be pretty paternalistic mm -hmm. uh, which didn't yeah. didn't bother me much, uh, mm -hmm. and people were willing to. It was like, oh, oh, you can do that! Isn't that yeah. amazing? <laughs> <laughs> but as a because there weren't that many females around, people mm -hmm. would remember me, and mm -hmm. that was to me an advantage. Yeah, because it, oh yes, that's it's the girl, mm -hmm. you know, and it was it was the girl. Mm -hmm. it, nobody would call you a woman at yeah. that point. Yeah. Uh, and there was a big thing about using Ms. And they yeah. had it took a long time to use get Ms. S M S, uh, right, as, as opposed, opposed to, to Miss or Miss. Which, well, now I, it, a lot of forms just use M S. Yeah, it's cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> it's easier. Yeah. You don't have to code in different things for yeah. your computer. <laughs> um, but uh, the attitude towards women was not as negative as I think it got later on, mm -hmm. where people really did start saying, "Oh, you know, it's a woman. That's why she's here, and we have to, you know, we have to have a woman do this." Yeah. They they weren't at that point of assignment of it making a difference on assignments mm -hmm. and so the the sense was a little strange I think in the workplace it was odd because people really didn't know how to to deal with a woman a lot of men particularly overseas if you were the control officer and invited to oh let's go out to dinner that put people in a put men in a situation where they really didn't know what they were supposed to do mm -hmm. what was what the ground rules were mm -hmm. and Sometimes I had a feeling people were making passes just because they weren't sure whether they were supposed to or not. Uh -huh. That part of the etiquette had not been decided on how you deal with mm -hmm. a colleague outside mm -hmm. the office or yeah. even inside the office. Yeah. I mean, comments, there were people who just really were used to dealing with women in a certain way and would continue to mm -hmm. do that in, the, yeah. in, a, in a work situation. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think the age thing did make a difference because older women really resented it more. Yeah. Uh, they were, uh, many of them bringing in, you know, something from a second career and felt that they were being condescended. There was one case of a, uh, 
a male supervisor, and there was two women in the office and another and a man. And the supervisor basically condescended to everybody. I mean, he'd say, now you write a memo and you say to so-and-so and <laughs> put these points in it and do this, that, and the other thing. And I looked and said, well, he treats everybody that way. I mean, he even mm -hmm. treats the, count, you know, the yeah. minister counselor that way yeah. because that's his approach to things. Yeah. But the other woman really took it as he was condescending to her and he was really denigrating her ability. There was no effort to really deal to tell people how to deal with these problems. Wow. And that one particularly came out very badly as it became a fight over leave slips and all that. Mm -hmm. you know, because that's the only way to get mm -hmm. back at people was to deny leave or, mm -hmm. or to take unauthorized leave. Early on, was there, as far as, you know, I mean, we are talking about a time when, when sort of the, the unwritten corridor rules are being set up. Was did you find yourself able to tap into a, a a woman's network or something, or was it that this generational thing between the older women who had clawed their way up the hard way and you who had come in with perhaps the, the skids greased just a little bit to get more women in? Did you, or at least that was the perception? Did you were you able to find women role models and? Uh, there weren't very many. I mean, there simply were not very many senior women at mm -hmm. the time. But again, because so many, you know, women, senior women were single. And they were not a role model for me because I didn't want to be single all my no. life. And it <clears throat> was, to me, there was a difference because they had given up everything for yeah. their career. And yeah. I was not going to mm -hmm. give up everything for that yeah. career. And partly it was seeing women and, sec I mean, not just officers, mm -hmm. but secretaries as oh, well. Yeah. I mean, I had, mean, they live for their jobs. And they were left at the end. With you know, not, not even a place to live. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so later on, there was more. I think there was a more effort. But early on, there mm -hmm. just really were not mm -hmm. very many senior women mm -hmm. in a in a position to mm -hmm. to go out of their way to make mm -hmm. you know to make an mm -hmm. effort. You were in Casablanca from when to when? From ninety, from uh, August ninety-two to July ninety-five. Uh, what were you doing in Casablanca? I was the consul general. And your husband? was the political officer. I, I recall you were getting ready to go there. We'd, for the record, we'd met before then. You were great with child at the, at the time. Did you have your, where did you have your baby? Here at uh, George Washington. Uh -huh. And they were, again, State Department was pretty good about it. I got a call from my um, predecessor who said, can you be here for July 4th? And I said, no, I can't, because I'm going to have a baby at the end of May, is what uh -huh. I thought. Uh, you know, I'll be there as soon as I can after yeah. the DCM course. And I called when I knew, and I said, you know, I'm going to have this baby for the, D the DCM principal officer's mm -hmm. course, which is includes off-site. Mm -hmm. Going to have this baby that I'm nursing, and yeah. he said, we will work something out. Uh, That's yeah. okay. So I, they gave me a, most people were in one part of the off-site place, and I had a, a little cottage with two rooms and brought my nanny. Mm -hmm. And so she would come and knock on the door when it was time to feed the baby, mm -hmm. and everybody got so. So James was six weeks old. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> we went through the uh, DCM course. Uh -huh. He was the youngest participant ever. Mm -hmm. And then for the courses, the uh, director made her office available for the nanny, mm -hmm. so he could be with me because there there really was not any alternative no. um, at that point uh, for a six week old. No. And then I did some French, and again it's you know the. 
the ability of the system to respond officially is, no, we can't do anything mm -hmm. for you. I'm sorry, yeah. there isn't any space. But every yes, we could find a place. Mm -hmm. The instructors would, oh, yeah. you know, here's your here's this office here. This classroom is not being used sure. now. Yeah. Go ahead and, and you know, yeah. and use it. We're talking about nursing. I Nur mean, yeah, uh, right. I, I assume probably in another decade you'll just nurse at the table. I mean, we haven't gotten that far, but well, I no, I don't think so. No. <laughs> Most people are very comfortable with that, but it is a system that does have to realize that more and more women mm -hmm. are choosing to. To continue working and have mm -hmm. their children. I mean, I had three children mm -hmm. in while working in the foreign mm -hmm. service, and uh, yes, I took six weeks off with James. Um, <laughs> that was the longest, uh, which is not a real good way of doing it. Uh, on the other side of the management, it is inconvenient to have to come up with somebody for a period while somebody is having a child. And now that they are insisting that women return to the United States to give birth, it means you are mandating a gap of really at least three months because mm -hmm. most airlines won't let you fly mm -hmm. when you're that visibly pregnant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And most doctors don't want you flying yeah. either. So when the state was uh, giving medical clearances to people to have babies overseas, you had more flexibility yeah. for the officer. And they haven't quite worked it out. Mm -hmm. uh, how, you know, how to handle trips and all that uh, when you're, if you're nursing or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's not very friendly mm -hmm. yet. Group. I got an email at one point from somebody who was saying, you know, please, you know, share your experiences yeah. for this, that, and the other. How, mm -hmm. how you manage to, you know, have your kids and, and keep working. Mm -hmm. Well, how about your contacts as council general with the mayor, the city, and other, other you know, I mean, uh, in other words, the elements of the government there. Yeah. I mean, one, I mean, interest in Americans, two, being a woman, I mean, how, how did this they, uh, It went, I was the first female consul general mm -hmm. in Morocco. And so that all, everybody wanted to know what was going mm -hmm. on. And I here I arrived with this three-month-old yeah. baby. Yeah. And people, the Moroccans reacted very, very well, very positively. There is this sense they could relate to me as a daughter or a sister or mm -hmm. something. You know, I was, I had these kids, so mm -hmm. that was a good thing. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to, gee, shouldn't you be home taking care of your kids? Yeah. Amongst the upper class, you know, nobody takes care of their own kids, so it seemed perfectly reasonable to be out. A lot of women have taken over mm -hmm. their family business or are involved in the family business. Mm -hmm. So there's an acceptance, particularly at, at my age. There was a protocol issue because we were just coming up to the 50th anniversary of Operation Torch, which was the Allied landing, Allied landing uh, in, in North Africa. Yeah, in 1942. And, right. And we had a uh, ship visit and all these people coming in and then a major conference. And somebody in protocol in Rabat, in the Moroccan government, decided that a consul general should get agreement. Well, we don't do agreement for consul generals. You only mm -hmm. do agreement for ambassadors. I couldn't be received by the Wali, the chief governor Mm -hmm. of the district, uh, sort of the, really a super governor. But we had the ship visit coming in and protocol <laughs> requires. Mm -hmm. So we worked out something where the Wally would receive me so we could get, go on with the ceremonial aspects. Mm -hmm. But the picture in the paper and officially I wasn't received on the protocol terms until Rabat decided. And this was one of the things the, uh, the governors are basically all run out of the uh, Ministry of the Interior. They are not elected. Mm -hmm. Ministry of Interior and Foreign Affairs didn't necessarily talk to each other, uh, so you had to send you know everything to, to both. It was it was just a zoo, a lot of ceremony. Moroccans are very very big on ceremony, and I would be met with you know guards dressed in ceremonial dress right. and swords and yeah. 
people, you know, and I had no, no, they don't tell you what to do. Yeah. <laughs> I was sort of going, what? Yeah. They didn't tell you how often you were going to be asked to speak and, mm-hmm. and all this about sitting down and drinking tea and eating cookies mm-hmm. and, and just the chit chat and how much, and you have to show up for certain things and you don't show mm-hmm. up for other mm-hmm. things. There was an awful lot of ceremony and being the, con- the American Constitutional is a big deal. Yeah. So everybody would know who you were and you'd go someplace and they'd make a statement and you're like, oh, and we're so pleased to see you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and there I am, my blue jeans. Uh-huh. I quickly learned you don't wear blue jeans yeah. uh, mm-hmm. unless you're <laughs> really doing yeah. something outside. Yeah. And the business community, uh, everybody wanted to meet the American Consul General. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a very, very positive attitude towards America. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not France, and mm-hmm. France is the dominant uh, European power in uh, Morocco. And there's just sort of this, we don't know much about the United States, but we like it, and we don't have any problems with you all. Well, before we end this up, and you had mentioned you might want to talk a little about, I suppose, the gender issue, experience yeah. in the Foreign Service, and all this. Mm-hmm. But specifically, one of the things is what happens when your foreign contact makes an unwelcome advance. Yeah. It changed the way that I did business because I started out in Haiti and I thought, oh dear, I've made a, you know, I've been giving out the wrong signals or whatever. Uh-huh. I made a mistake, so I decided I would never have one-on-one dinner mm-hmm. with a male. Yeah. Then I got down to I stopped having lunch. <laughs> Because in more than one occasion, a male contact, a colleague, foreign government, somebody that you had to repeatedly deal with, would make a pass. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well... Pass, I'm never sure of the the language. Somebody reads this in the 25th century. This is a mild sexual advance, I suppose you'd call it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, Some of them weren't so mild. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) right. I'll get to that one. uh, And I felt partly it was the confusion because people really weren't so used to women in these roles mm-hmm. and if when you put a male and female in a role that they're used to which is such mm-hmm. as a, a lunch or something yeah they put it in a social context and there are certain men that i think mm-hmm. just believe that whether out of yeah. it's polite, polite or yeah. it's expected or yeah. they just uh you know yeah. are horny i don't know <laughs> <laughs> but it, it just would hap it happened enough that i decided I will not put us in a context where that is it, and mm-hmm. we will, you know, meet in offices uh, mm-hmm. in a in a clearly work situation, and that would uh, and I thought that would that would solve the problems, and then I was in Ethiopia, seven months pregnant, went to call on the Tunisian ambassador, you know, about an OAU issue, mm-hmm. and he grabs me and kisses me. Here I am, seven months pregnant, you know, <laughs> and you think now. <laughs> what a slime ball. (laughs) Now, how do I ever deal with this guy again without retching? Yeah. Uh, As he had, you know, gone through this whole thing about his wife and kids who were in Tunisia and all that. uh I just (laughs) found it very bizarre. But uh, the fact that that such a thing would happen and happen, you know, it certainly happens with Americans, but it's much easier to deal with it because you know their cultural context, you know what's going on, and there are indeed ways of dealing with it mm-hmm. if it continues to happen. Yeah. But when this is somebody that you need to yeah. see on a continuing basis, it was just a learning process mm-hmm. for me of, there, you know, there's certain people that you certainly can't tell at all how mm-hmm. they're going to react. Yeah. And somebody like the Tunisian ambassador, there's yeah. nothing you can do. That's yeah. just, except then you make sure that it's always your office <laughs> <laughs> after that, which is what yeah. I did. Uh, though it's hard to get the, you know, the Tunisian ambassador shouldn't be coming to call on a first no, secretary. No. Uh-huh. So there are just ways. Um, some of the others were on American colleagues. 
again, where you felt that they, I mean, some of them were just people who are traveling on TDY or whatever, mm -hmm. certain have very peculiar ideas about what a control officer really is. <laughs> and you disabuse them, yeah. uh, you know, very quickly that, that that wasn't it. Because a lot of people did the Brussels, Paris um, circuit, and I had a, a female friend who was in a similar position in Paris, and she would end up being control officer for the same person that I had been control mm -hmm. officer for, and we'd compare notes as to whether yeah. so-and-so had yeah. been obnoxious. <laughs> you know, it was amazing. The, it wasn't just a one-time situation, yeah. somebody being carried away yeah. or whatever. It was clearly there were people that that's the way, that's uh -huh. what they thought mm -hmm. was supposed to happen in yeah. terms of female officers. And it, things had not been as clear, um, in fact, to this day, I have never been required to attend anything on sexual harassment mm -hmm. or, you know, what, it, what yeah. is considered sexual harassment. Mm -hmm. So this whole sexual harassment thing really was an issue that, that really came to its forefront in the late 80s and early 90s and, and still with us. It's always been there, but, uh, but as far as being a legal thing, that once you start getting into the mode of making official complaints, it puts you into a different category and no matter how nice everybody tries to be about it, uh, it's not good for one's mental attitude, I think, and also it's not really very good career-wise, I would think. They're right. I had a um, secretary that was involved in an actual case, and she had to go back to testify. Uh, and it was a case where she was merely saying, yes, the guy grabbed everybody, you mm -hmm. know, and, and why is it that one person can handle it and, and another mm -hmm. couldn't? And that was the focus of the investigation, and you, you thought, now that's no, <laughs> you know, it, it isn't on the person who's getting grabbed no, to no, deal with. I mean, it's, it's why do people think that they can abuse their yeah. their position? Uh, it also, as as a supervisor of males, you get into it too of thinking, okay, that's right, it, it can work both ways. Mm -hmm. And uh, to hear people, you know, talk about situations that they've been in, mm -hmm. males with a, a female boss, uh, it was just something I had not mm -hmm. thought about, but mm -hmm. indeed the, the possibility mm -hmm. is there and maybe even more subtle and more difficult mm -hmm. to deal with because at least when you're a woman, everybody more or less doesn't blame you for it. Yeah. But people, I think, would look at a man like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. No, that's, well, I think it's one of these, these things is we keep working, at least in our society, we keep working things out. Uh, and uh, maybe often it gets overly legalistic uh, and it gets into victimization, which is uh, sort of almost a problem in a number of cases. But still, I mean, we're, we're working on it. But uh, I would think, though, often to get somewhere in business, I mean, in our business or any other one, often the more informal setting of the lunch and all that, you know, sort of takes you outside the, the office setting so one isn't, did you find this inhibiting, or did you just kind of learn to work around it? Well, actually, I learned as you get up that if you if it's at your house, you're in much safer grounds, and so that's mm -hmm. what I would do mm -hmm. um, for somebody that I felt really we were going to get someplace else. Mm -hmm. I found that it was the one-on-one -on -one lunch or a small group. If you mm -hmm. picked your group right, you could get just as much information, mm -hmm. in fact, even more as people bounced ideas yeah. off one another. But when you were really looking to cultivate somebody. Uh, as they were going to be a good source of mm -hmm. information, 
by having being in a position. Both in India, we had a cook, and mm-hmm. in Morocco, saying, "Yeah, come to the house. It's just mm-hmm. easier." You also didn't have the problem with the bill. I mean, that was that was yeah, another thing. Yeah, fighting who People, pay. You know, men grabbing the bill when you had invited them to lunch, mm-hmm. and you thought, "Now this is." There, you know, and then I would set up things. Well, I will, you know, I'll pay before so no bill mm-hmm. is ever presented at the table, or th- I mean, just really silly mm-hmm. things that yeah. uh, that seem to have gotten better. But I found that mm-hmm. entertaining in your own home made it a lot easier. I was Anne Carey speaking on her experiences as consul general in Morocco and dealing with difficulties involving gender biases and harassment. Thank you for listening. ADST is an independent nonprofit organization located in Arlington, Virginia. ADST's oral history collection, begun in 1986, contains over 2,500 oral histories, unveiling the horrifying, thought-provoking, and the absurd events that have helped shape foreign policy. If you have enjoyed listening to this podcast, please make a tax-deductible donation to allow ADST to continue its work at www.adst.org.